Welcome back, everyone, to 1001 Greatest Love Stories. This is your host, John Hagedorn, and today, Chapters 2 and 3 from The Scarlet Pimpernel. And now, Chapter 2, Dover, The Fisherman's Rest. In the kitchen, Sally was extremely busy. Saucepans and frying pans were standing in rows on the gigantic hearth. The huge stockpot stood in a corner, and the jack turned with slow deliberation and presented alternately to the glow every side of a noble sirloin of beef. The two little kitchen maids bustled around, eager to help, hot and panting, with cotton sleeves well tucked up above the dimpled elbows and giggling over some private jokes of their own whenever Miss Sally's back was turned for a moment. And old Jemima, stolid in temper and solid in bulk, kept up a long and subdued grumble while she stirred the stockpot methodically over the fire. "'What ho, Sally!' came in cheerful if none too melodious accents from the coffee-room close by. "'Lud bless my soul!' exclaimed Sally with a good-humoured laugh. "'What be they all wantin' now, I wonder?' "'Beer, of course,' grumbled Jemima. "'You don't expect Jimmy Pitkin to have done with one tankard, do you?' "'Mr. Airy, he looked uncommon thirsty, too,' simpered Martha, one of the little kitchen-maids, and her beady black eyes twinkled as they met those of her companion, whereupon both started on a round of short and suppressed giggles. Sally looked cross for a moment and thoughtfully rubbed her hands against her shapely hips. Her palms were itching, evidently, to come in contact with Martha's rosy cheeks, but inherent good humor prevailed, and with a pout and a shrug of the shoulders she turned her attention to the fried potatoes. "'Hey, Sally!' and a chorus of pewter mugs, tapped with impatient hands against the oak tables of the coffee-room, accompanied the shouts for mine host's buxom daughter. "'Sally!' shouted a more persistent voice. "'Are you going to be all night with that there beer?' "'I do think father might get the beer for them,' muttered Sally, as Jemima, stolidly and without further comment, took a couple of foam-crowned jugs from the shelf and began filling a number of pewter tankards with some of that home-brewed ale for which the fisherman's rest had been famous since the days of King Charles. "'He knows how busy we are in here.' "'Your father's too busy discussing politics with Mr. Empsey "'to worry itself about you in the kitchen,' grumbled Jemima under her breath. "'Sally had gone to the small mirror which hung in a corner of the kitchen "'and was hastily smoothing her hair and setting her frilled cap "'at its most becoming angle over her dark curls. "'Then she took up the tankards by their handles, three in each strong brown hand, "'and laughing, grumbling, blushing, carried them through into the coffee-room.' There, there was certainly no sign of the bustle and activity which kept four women busy and hot in the glowing kitchen beyond. The coffee-room of the Fisherman's Rest is a showplace now at the beginning of the 20th century. At the end of the 18th, in the year of our grace 1792, it had not yet gained that notoriety and importance which a hundred additional years and the craze of age have since bestowed upon it. Yet it was an old place, even then, for the oak rafters and beams were already black with age as were the paneled seats with their tall backs and the long polished tables between, on which innumerable pewter tankards had left fantastic patterns of many-sized rings. In the leaded window, high up, a row of pots of scarlet geraniums and blue larkspur gave the bright note of color against the dull background of the oak. That Mr. Jellyband, landlord of the Fisherman's Rest at Dover, was a prosperous man, was of course clear to the most casual observer. The pewter on the fine old dressers, the brass above the gigantic hearth, shone like silver and gold. The red-tiled floor was as brilliant as a scarlet geranium on the window sill. This meant that his servants were good and plentiful, that the custom was constant, 
and of that order which necessitated the keeping up of the coffee-room to a high standard of elegance and order. As Sally came in, laughing through her frowns and displaying a row of dazzling white teeth, she was greeted with shouts and a chorus of applause. "'Why, here's Sally! What ho, Sally! Hurrah for pretty Sally!' "'I thought you'd grown deaf in that kitchen of yours,' muttered Jimmy Pitkin, as he passed the back of his hand across his very dry lips. "'All right, all right!' laughed Sally, as she deposited the freshly filled tankards upon the tables. "'Why, what a hurry, to be sure! And is your grandmother a dying, and you wanting to see the poor soul afore she am gone? I never seen such a mighty Russian!' A chorus of good-humoured laughter greeted this witticism, which gave the company their present food for many jokes, for some considerable time. Sally now seemed in less of a hurry to get back to her pots and pans. A young man with fair curly hair and eager bright blue eyes was engaging most of her attention and the whole of her time, whilst broad witticisms about Jimmy Pitkin's fictitious grandmother flew from mouth to mouth, mixed with heavy puffs of pungent tobacco smoke. Facing the hearth, his legs wide apart, a long clay pipe in his mouth, stood mine host himself, worthy Mr. Jellyband, landlord of the Fisherman's Rest, as his father had been before him, I and his grandfather and great-grandfather, too, for that matter. Portly in build, jovial in countenance, and somewhat bald of pate, Mr. Jellyband was indeed a typical rural John Bull of those days, the days when our prejudiced insularity was at its height, when to an Englishman, be he lord, yeoman, or peasant, the whole of the continent of Europe was a den of immorality, and the rest of the world an unexploited land of savages and cannibals. There he stood, mine worthy host, firm and well set up on his limbs, smoking his long church warden, and carrying nothing for nobody at home, and despising everybody abroad. He wore the typical scarlet waistcoat with shiny brass buttons, the corduroy breeches, the grey worsted stockings and smart buckled shoes that characterized every self-respecting innkeeper in Great Britain in these days, and while pretty, motherless Sally had need of four pairs of brown hands to do all the work that fell on her shapely shoulders, Worthy Jellyband discussed the affairs of nations with his most privileged guest. The coffee room, indeed, lighted by two well-polished lamps which hung from the raftered ceiling, looked cheerful and cozy in the extreme. Through the dense clouds of tobacco smoke that hung about in every corner, the faces of Mr. Jellyband's customers appeared red and pleasant to look at, and on good terms with themselves, their host, and all the world. From every side of the room loud guffaws accompanied pleasant if not highly intellectual, conversation, while Sally's repeated giggles testified to the good use Mr. Harry Waite was making of the short time she seemed inclined to spare him. They were mostly fisher folk who patronized Mr. Jellyband's coffee room, but fishermen are known to be very thirsty people. The salt which they breathe in, when they are on the sea, accounts for their parched throats when on shore. But the fisherman's rest was something more than a rendezvous for these humble folk. The London and Dover coach started from the hostel daily, and passengers who had come across the channel, and those who started for the grand tour, all became acquainted with Mr. Jellyband, his French wines, and his home-brewed ales. It was towards the close of September, 1792, and the weather which had been brilliant and hot throughout the month had suddenly broken up. For two days torrents of rain had deluged the south of England, doing its level best to ruin what chances the apples and pears and late plums had of becoming really fine, self-respecting fruit. Even now it was beating against the leaded windows and tumbling down the chimney, making the cheerful wood fire sizzle in the hearth. 
"'Law, did you ever see such a wet September, Mr. Jellyband?' asked Mr. Hepseed. "'He sat in one of the seats inside the hearth,' did Mr. Hepseed, "'for he was an authority and an important personage not only at the fisherman's rest, "'where Mr. Jellyband always made a special selection of him as a foil for political arguments, "'but throughout the neighborhood, where his learning and notably his knowledge of the scriptures "'was held in the most profound awe and respect.' with one hand buried in the capacious pockets of his corduroys underneath his elaborately worked, well-worn smock, the other holding his long clay pipe, Mr. Hepseed sat there looking dejectedly across the room at the rivulets of moisture which trickled down the window panes. "'No,' replied Mr. Jellyband, sententiously. "'I dunno, Mr. Hepseed, as I ever did, and I've been in these parts nigh on sixty years. I." "'You wouldn't recollect the first three years of them sixty, Mr. Jellyband,' quietly interposed Mr. Hepseed. "'I don't know as I'd ever seen an infant take much note of the weather, leastways not in these parts, and I've lived here nigh on seventy-five years, Mr. Jellyband.' The superiority of this wisdom was so incontestable that for the moment Mr. Jellyband was not ready with his usual flow of argument. "'It do seem more like April than September, don't it?' continued Mr. Hepseed, dolefully, "'as a shower of raindrops fell with a sizzle upon the fire. "'Aye, that'd do,' assented the worthy host. "'But then, what can you expect, Mr. Hempseed?' I says, "'with such a government as we've got.' "'Mr. Hempseed shook his head with an infinity of wisdom, "'tempered by deeply rooted mistrust of the British climate and the British government. "'I don't expect nothing, Mr. Jellyband,' he said. "'Poor folks like us is of no account up there in London.' I knows that, and it's not often as I do complain. But when it comes to sich wet weather in September, and all me fruit a rotten and a dying like the gumption mother's firstborn, and doing no more good than they did, poor dears, save to a lot of Jews, peddlers and sich, with their oranges and such like foreign ungodly fruit, which nobody'd buy if English apples and pears was nicely swelled. As the scriptures say, that's quite right, Mr. Hepseed, retorted Jellyband, and as I says, what can you expect? "'There's all them Frenchy devils over the channel yonder "'a murdering their king and nobility, "'and Mr. Pitt and Mr. Fox and Mr. Burke "'a fighting between them "'if we Englishmen should allow them "'to go on in their ungodly way.' "'Let them murder,' says Mr. Pitt. "'Stop em, says Mr. Burke. "'And let them murder,' says I, "'and be damned to em, said Mr. Hempseed, emphatically, "'for he had but little liking "'for his friend Jellyband's political arguments, "'wherein he always got out of his depth.' and had but little chance for displaying those pearls of wisdom which had earned him so high a reputation in the neighborhood, and so many free tankards of ale at the fisherman's rest. "'Let em murder,' he repeated again, "'but don't let's have such rain in September, for that's again the law in the scriptures which says—' "'Lud, Mr. Ari, how you made me jump!' It was unfortunate for Sally and her flirtation that this remark of hers should have occurred at the precise moment when Mr. Hempseed was collecting his breath in order to deliver himself of one of those scriptural utterances which had made him famous, for it brought down upon her pretty head the full flood of her father's wrath. "'Now then, Sally, me girl, now then,' he said, trying to force a frown upon his good-humoured face. "'Stop that fooling with them young jackanapes and get on with the work.' "'The work's getting on all right, father.' But Mr. Jellyband was peremptory. He had other views for his buxom daughter, his only child, who would in God's good time become the owner of the fisherman's rest, than to see her married to one of these young fellows who earned but a precarious livelihood with their net. "'Did you hear me speak, me girl?' he said, in that quiet tone, 
which no one inside the inn dared to disobey. Get on with my lord Tony's supper, for if it ain't the best we can do, and he not satisfied, see what you'll get, that's all. And reluctantly, Sally obeyed. Is you expectin' special guest then tonight, Mr. Jellyband? asked Jimmy Pitkin, in a loyal attempt to divert his host's attention from the circumstances connected with Sally's exit from the room. Aye, that I be, replied Jellyband. Friends of my lord Tony himself, dukes and duchesses from over the water yonder, whom the young lord and his friend, Sir Andrew Folks, and other young noblemen, have helped out of the clutches of them murdering devils. But this was too much for Mr. Hempseed's querulous philosophy. Lord, he said, what do they do that for, I wonder? I don't old not with interfering in other folks' ways. As the scriptures say. Maybe, Mr. Hempseed, interrupted Jellyband, with biting sarcasm, as you're a personal friend of Mr. Pitt, and as you says along with Mr. Fox, let him murder, says you. Uh, pardon me, Mr. Jellyband, feebly protested Mr. Hempseed. I don't know as I ever did say that. But Mr. Jellyband had at last succeeded in getting upon his favorite hobby horse, and had no intention of dismounting in any hurry. Or maybe you've made friends with some of them French chaps, who they do say have come over here on purpose to make us Englishmen agree with their murdering ways. I don't know what you mean, Mr. Jellyband, suggested Mr. Hempseed. All I know is... All I know is, loudly asserted mine host, that there was my friend Peppercorn, who owns the blue-faced boar, and as true and loyal an Englishman as you'd see in the land. And now look at him. He made friends with some of them frog-eaters, obnobbed with them just as if they was Englishmen, and not just a lot of immoral, godforsaken foreign spies. Well, and what happened? Peppercorn, he now ups and talks of revolutions and liberty, and down with the aristocrats, just like Mr. Empseed over there. Uh, pardon me, Mr. Jellyband, again interposed Mr. Hempseed feebly. I don't know if I ever did... Mr. Jellyband had appealed to the company in general, who were listening awestruck and open-mouthed at the recital of Mr. Peppercorn's defalcations. At one table two customers, gentlemen apparently by their clothes, had pushed aside their half-finished game of dominoes, and had been listening for some time, and evidently with much amusement at Mr. Jellyband's international opinions. One of them now, with a quiet, sarcastic smile still lurking round the corners of his mobile mouth, "'turned towards the center of the room "'where Mr. Jellyband was standing. "'You seem to think, mine honest friend,' "'he said quietly, "'that these Frenchmen, spies, I think you call them, "'are mighty clever fellows "'to have made mincemeat, so to speak, "'of your friend Mr. Peppercorn's opinions. "'Now how did they accomplish that, think you? "'Blood, sir, I suppose they talked them over. "'Those Frenchies, I've heard it said, "'have got the gift of gab, "'and Mr. Empseed here will tell you "'how it is that they just twist some people "'round their little fingers.' "'Indeed. And is that so, Mr. Hempseed?' inquired the stranger, politely. "'Nay, sir,' replied Mr. Hempseed, much irritated. "'I don't know as I can give you the information you require.' "'Faith, then,' said the stranger, "'let us hope, my worthy host, that these clever spies will not succeed in upsetting your extremely loyal opinions.' But this was too much for Mr. Jellyband's pleasant equanimity." he burst into an uproarious fit of laughter, which was soon echoed by those who happened to be in his debt. "'Ha-ha!' he laughed in every key, did our worthy host, and laughed until his sides ached and his eyes streamed. "'At me! Hark at that! 
"'Did you hear him say that they'd be soon upset in my opinions? "'Eh? Lord love you, sir, but you do say some queer things.' "'Well, Mr. Jellyband,' said Mr. Hepseed, sententiously, "'you know what the scriptures say? "'Let him who stands take an e, lest he fall.' "'But then hark ye, Mr. Hepseed,' retorted Jellyband, "'still holding his sides with laughter. "'The scriptures didn't know me. "'Why, I wouldn't so much as drink a glass of ale "'with one of them murdering Frenchmen.' "'and nothing to make me change my opinions. "'Why, I've heard it said that them frog-eaters "'can't even speak the king's English. "'So, of course, if any of them tried to speak "'their godforsaken lingo to me, "'why, I should spot them directly, see? "'And forewarned is forearmed, as the saying goes.' "'Ay, my honest friend,' assented the stranger, cheerfully. "'I see that you are much too sharp, "'and a match for any twenty Frenchmen. "'And here's to your very good health, my worthy host, "'if you'll do me the honour to finish this bottle of mine with me.' "'I'm sure you're very polite, sir,' said Mr. Jellyband, "'wiping his eyes, which were still streaming "'with the abundance of his laughter. "'And I don't mind if I do.' "'The stranger poured out a couple of tankards full of wine, "'and having offered one to mine host, "'he took the other himself. "'Loyal Englishmen as we all are,' he said, "'whilst the same humorous smile "'played round the corners of his thin lips. "'Loyal as we are, "'we must admit that this at least is one good thing "'which comes to us from France.' "'Aye, will none of us deny that, sir,' assented mine host. "'And here's to the best landlord in England, our worthy host, Mr. Jellyband,' said the stranger, in a loud tone of voice. "'Hip, hip, hurrah!' retorted the whole company present. Then there was loud clapping of hands, and mugs and tankards made a rattling music upon the tables to the accompaniment of loud laughter, and nothing in particular, and of Mr. Jellyband's muttered exclamations. "'Just fancy me being talked over by any godforsaken furner. "'What? Lord love you, sir. "'But you do say some queer things.' "'To which obvious fact the stranger hardly assented. "'It was certainly a preposterous suggestion "'that anyone could ever upset Mr. Jellyband's firmly rooted opinions "'about the utter worthlessness of the inhabitants of the whole continent of Europe. "'We'll return to Chapter 3, right after these sponsor messages.' And now, Chapter 3 of The Scarlet Pimpernel, The Refugees. Feeling in every part of England certainly ran very high at this time against the French and their doings. Smugglers and legitimate traders between the French and English coast brought snatches of news from over the water, which made every honest Englishman's blood boil, and made him long to have a good go at those murderers, who had imprisoned their king and all his family, subjected the queen and the royal children to every species of indignity, and were even now loudly demanding the blood of the whole Bourbon family and of every one of its adherents. The execution of Princessa de Lamballe, Marie Antoinette's young and charming friend, had filled everyone in England with unspeakable horror. The daily execution of scores of royalists of good family, whose only sin was their aristocratic name, seemed to cry for vengeance to the whole of civilized Europe. Yet with all that, no one dared to interfere. Burke had exhausted all his eloquence in trying to induce the British government to fight the revolutionary government of France, but Mr. Pitt, with characteristic prudence, did not feel that this country was fit yet to embark on another arduous and costly war. It was for Austria to take the initiative. Austria, whose fairest daughter was even now a dethroned queen, imprisoned and insulted by a howling mob, and surely t'was not, so argued Mr. Fox, for the whole of England to take up arms, because one set of Frenchmen chose to murder another. As for Mr. Jellyband and his fellow John Bowles, 
though they looked upon all foreigners with withering contempt, they were royalist and anti-revolutionist to a man, and at this present moment were furious with Pitt for his caution and moderation, although they naturally understood nothing of the diplomatic reasons which guided that great man's policy. But now Sally came running back, very excited and very eager. The joyous company in the coffee room had heard nothing of the noise outside, but she had spied a dripping horse and rider who had stopped at the door of the fisherman's rest, and while the stable boy ran forward to take charge of the horse, pretty Miss Sally went to the front door to greet the welcome visitor. "'I think I'd see my Lord Antony's horse out in the yard, father,' she said, as she ran across the coffee room. But already the door had been thrown open from outside, and the next moment an arm, covered in drab cloth and dripping with the heavy rain, was round pretty Sally's waist, while a hearty voice echoed along the polished rafters of the coffee room. "'Aye, and bless your brown eyes for being so sharp, my pretty Sally,' said the man who had just entered, whilst worthy Mr. Jellyband came bustling forward, eager, alert, and fussy, as became the advent of one of the most favored guests of his hotel. "'Lud, I protest, Sally,' added Lord Antony, as he deposited a kiss on Miss Sally's blooming cheeks. "'But you are growing prettier and prettier every time I see you, and my honest friend, Jellyband here, "'must have hard work to keep the fellows off that slim waist of yours. "'What say you, Mr. Waite?' "'Mr. Waite, torn between his respect for my lord "'and his dislike of that particular type of joke, "'only replied with a doubtful grunt. "'Lord Antony Dewhurst, one of the sons of the Duke of Exeter, "'was in those days a very perfect type of young English gentleman. "'Tall, well set up, broad of shoulders, and merry of face, "'his laughter rang loudly wherever he went. "'A good sportsman,' a lively companion, a courteous, well-bred man of the world, with not too much brains to spoil his temper. He was a universal favorite in London drawing-rooms or in the coffee-rooms of village inns. At the fisherman's rest, everyone knew him, for he was fond of a trip across to France, and always spent a night under worthy Mr. Jellyband's roof on his way there or back. He nodded to Waite, Pitkin, and the others as he at last released Sally's waist and crossed over to the hearth to warm and dry himself. As he did so, he cast a quick, somewhat suspicious glance at the two strangers, who had quietly resumed their game of dominoes, and for a moment a look of deep earnestness, even of anxiety, clouded his jovial young face. But only for a moment. The next he had turned to Mr. Hempseed, who was respectfully touching his forelock. "'Well, Mr. Hempseed, and how is the fruit?' "'Badly, my lord, badly,' replied Mr. Hempseed, dolefully. "'But what can you expect with this here government favoring them rascals over in France?' "'who had murdered their king and all their nobility.' "'Odds life,' retorted Lord Antony. "'So they would, honest Hempseed. "'At least those they can get hold of. "'Worse luck. "'But we've got some friends coming here tonight "'who at any rate have evaded their clutches.' "'It almost seemed, when the young man said these words, "'as if he threw a defiant look "'towards the quiet strangers in the corner. "'Thanks to you, my lord, and to your friends, "'so I've heard it said,' said Mr. Jellyband. "'but in a moment Lord Antony's hand fell warningly on the host's arm. "'Hush!' he said peremptorily, "'and instinctively once again looked towards the strangers. "'Oh, Lord love you, they're all right, my lord,' retorted Jellyband. "'Don't you be afraid. I wouldn't have spoken, only I knew we were among friends. "'That gentleman over there is as true and loyal as subject to King George "'as you are yourself, my lord, saving your presence. "'But he has lately arrived in Dover, and is settling down in business in these parts.' "'In business, eh? Faith, then, it must be as an undertaker, for I vow I never beheld a more rueful countenance.' 
"'Nay, nay, my lord, I believe that the gentleman's a widower, "'which no doubt would account for the melancholy of his bearing. "'But he is a friend, nevertheless, I'll vouch for that. "'And you will own, my lord, that who should judge of a face "'better than the landlord of a popular inn?' "'Oh, that's all right, then, for among friends,' said Lord Antony, "'who evidently did not care to discuss the subject with his host. "'But tell me, you have no one else staying here, do you?' "'No one, my lord, and no one coming either. Leastways—' "'Leastways?' "'No one your lordship would object to, I know.' "'Who is it?' "'Well, my lord, Sir Percy Blakeney and his lady will be here presently. "'But they ain't a-going to stay.' "'Lord Blakeney?' "'queried Lord Antony, in some astonishment. "'I am a lord. "'Sir Percy's skipper was here just now. "'He says that my lady's brother is crossing over to France today "'in the daydream, which is Sir Percy's yacht, "'and Sir Percy and my lady will come with him as far as here "'to see the last of him. "'It don't put you out, do it, my lord?' "'No, no, it doesn't put me out, friend. "'Nothing will put me out, "'unless that supper is not the very best which Miss Sally can cook, "'and which has ever been served in the fisherman's rest.' "'You need have no fear of that, my lord,' said Sally, "'who all this while had been busy setting the table for supper, "'and very gay and inviting it looked, "'with a large bunch of brilliantly colored dahlias in the center, "'and the bright pewter goblets and blue china about. "'How many shall I lay for, my lord?' Five places, pretty Sally. "'But let the supper be enough for ten at least. "'Our friends will be tired, and I hope hungry. "'As for me, I vow I could demolish a baron of beef tonight. "'And here they are, I do believe.' "'said Sally, excitedly, "'as a distant clatter of horses and wheels "'could now be distinctly heard, "'drawing rapidly nearer. "'There was general commotion in the coffee-room. "'Everyone was curious to see "'my Lord Antony's swell friends from over the water. "'Miss Sally cast one or two quick glances "'at, at the little bit of mirror which hung on the wall, "'and worthy Mr. Jellyband bustled out "'in order to give the first welcome himself "'to his distinguished guests. "'Only the two strangers in the corner "'did not participate in the general excitement.' They were calmly finishing their game of dominoes, and did not even look once toward the door. "'Straight ahead, Comtesse. The door on your right,' said a pleasant voice outside. "'Aye, there they are, all right enough,' said Lord Antony, joyfully. "'Off with you, my pretty Sally, and see how quickly you can dish up the soup.' The door was thrown wide open, and preceded by Mr. Jellyband, who was profuse in his bows and welcomes. A party of four, two ladies and two gentlemen, entered the coffee-room." "'Welcome! Welcome to Old England!' said Lord Antony, effusively, as he came eagerly forward with both hands outstretched towards the newcomers. "'Ah, you are Lord Antony Dewhurst, I think,' said one of the ladies, speaking with a strong foreign accent. "'At your service, madame,' he replied, as he ceremoniously kissed the hands of both the ladies, then turned to the men and shook them both warmly by the hand. Sally was already helping the ladies to take off their traveling cloaks, and both turned, with a shiver, towards the brightly blazing hearth. There was a general movement among the company in the coffee-room. Sally had bustled off to her kitchen, whilst Jellyband, still profuse with his respectful salutations, arranged one or two chairs around the fire. Mr. Hempseed, touching his forelock, was quietly vacating the seat in the hearth. Everyone was staring curiously, yet deferentially, at the foreigners. "'Ah, messieurs, what can I say?' "'said the elder of the two ladies, "'as she stretched a pair of fine, aristocratic hands "'to the warmth of the blaze, "'and looked with unspeakable gratitude "'first at Lord Antony, "'then at one of the young men "'who had accompanied her party, "'and who was busy divesting himself "'of his heavy, caped coat. "'Only that you're glad to be in England, "'Comtesse,' replied Lord Antony, "'and that you have not suffered too much "'from your trying voyage.' 
"'Indeed, indeed, we are glad to be in England,' she said, while her eyes filled with tears. "'And we've already forgotten all that we've suffered.' Her voice was musical and low, and there was a great deal of calm dignity and of many sufferings nobly endured marked in the handsome, aristocratic face, with its wealth of snow-white hair dressed high above the forehead after the fashion of the times. "'I hope my friend, Sir Andrew Folks, proved an entertaining traveling companion, madame.' "'Ah, indeed, Sir Andrew was kindness itself. "'How could my children and I ever show enough gratitude to all of you, messieurs?' "'Her companion, a dainty, girlish figure, "'childlike and pathetic in his look of fatigue and of sorrow, "'had said nothing as yet, but her eyes, large, brown, and full of tears, "'looked up from the fire and sought those of Sir Andrew Folks, "'who had drawn near to the hearth and to her. "'Then, as they met his, which were fixed with unconcealed admiration "'upon the sweet face before him, "'a thought of warmer color rushed up to her pale cheeks. "'So this is England,' she said, "'as she looked round with childlike curiosity "'at the great open hearth, the oak rafters, "'and the yokels with their elaborate smocks, "'and jovial, robicund, very British, countenances. "'It's a bit of it, mademoiselle,' replied Sir Andrew, smiling. "'But all of it, at your service.' "'The young girl blushed again, "'but this time a bright smile, fleet and sweet, "'illumined her dainty face. "'She said nothing, and Sir Andrew, too, was silent. "'Yet those two young people understood one another, "'as young people have a way of doing all the world over, "'and have done since the world began. "'But I say, supper!' "'Here broke in Lord Antony's jovial voice. "'Supper, honest jelly-band! "'Where is that pretty wench of yours in the dish of soup? "'Zooks, man, while you stand there gaping at the ladies, "'they'll faint with hunger. "'One moment, one moment, my lord!' "'said Jelly Band, as he threw open the door "'that led to the kitchen and shouted lustily, "'Sally! Hey, Sally there! Are you ready, my girl?' "'Sally was ready, and the next moment she appeared in the doorway "'carrying a gigantic tureen, from which rose a cloud of steam "'and an abundance of savory odor. "'Odds my life! Supper at last!' said Lord Antony, merrily, "'as he gallantly offered his arm to the Comtesse. "'May I have the honor?' he added ceremoniously, "'as he led her toward the supper-table.' There was general bustle in the coffee-room. Mr. Hempseed and most of the yokels and fisher-folk had gone to make way for the quality and to finish smoking their pipes elsewhere. Only the two strangers stayed on, quietly and unconcernedly playing their game of dominoes and sipping their wine, whilst at another table Harry Waite, who was fast losing his temper, watched pretty Sally bustling round the table. She looked a very dainty picture of English rural life, "'and no wonder that the susceptible young Frenchman "'could scarce take his eyes off her pretty face. "'The Vicomte de Tournay was scarce nineteen, "'a beardless boy, on whom the terrible tragedies "'which were being exacted in his own country "'had made but little impression. "'He was elegantly and even foppishly dressed, "'and once safely landed in England, "'he was evidently ready to forget the horrors of the Revolution "'in the delights of English life. "'Pardie, if this is England!' he said, as he continued to ogle Sally with marked satisfaction. It would be impossible at this point to record the exact exclamation which escaped through Mr. Harry Waite's clenched teeth. Only respect for the quality, and notably for my Lord Antony, kept his marked disapproval of the young foreigner in check. "'No, but this is England, you abandoned young reprobate,' interposed Lord Antony with a laugh. "'And do not, I pray, bring your loose foreign ways into this most moral country.' Lord Antony had already sat down at the head of the table with the Comtesse on his right. Jellyband was bustling round, filling glasses and putting chairs straight. 
Sally waited, ready to hand round the soup. Mr. Harry Waite's friends had at last succeeded in taking him out of the room, for his temper was growing more and more violent under the Vicomp's obvious admiration for Sally. Suzanne came in stern, commanding accents from the rigid Comtesse. Suzanne blushed again. She had lost count of time and of place while she had stood beside the fire, allowing the handsome young Englishman's eyes to dwell upon her sweet face, and his hand, as if unconsciously to rest upon hers. Her mother's voice brought her back to reality once more, and with a submissive, "'Yes, Mama," she too took her place at the supper-table. Thanks for joining us for Chapters 2 and 3 of The Scarlet Pippernal. This is your host, John Hagedorn, and we'll return next Sunday night at 8 p.m. Eastern Time with Chapters 4 and 5. Until then, everyone, stay safe, and we'll be back soon.